listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here at LastWordOnSports.com. It is Thursday, October 6th, 2022, and we have just one final match day in the Major League Soccer regular season. This upcoming Sunday, October 9th, is Decision Day. We have so many things to talk about with a news dump today on top of some unfortunate, but at least for me, Not surprising news that we got on Monday regarding uh, the sport in America for women. But first, let me bring in my co-host, Daniel Sperry. Dan, it's been a while. I know it's it's been a crazy couple months for all the people who work on this podcast and everything. So I don't even remember the last time we had you on. We were talking before we hit the record button. uh, You know, hi, it's been a while since we've seen each other's faces because normally that doesn't happen for more than like two weeks. How are you? I am doing good, man. It's been it has been wild, uh, wildly busy uh, through the end of the season. Um, I think all of us trying to find a time for us to podcast has been difficult, um, uh, and you know, so it's it's been it's been tough. I did get to talk to Rachel last week um, on a Kansas City Current specific podcast that I have been working on with uh, another writer out here. Um, we had her on to kind of talk uh, NWSL Decision Day, so that was nice to see Rachel Krigger's face for a little bit and uh, talk some Woso. Um, little did we know everything that was going to come out this week as we recorded that podcast. Um, but yeah, man, I'm. I'm excited to get back on here and talk some MLS, and uh, we've got, uh, as you mentioned earlier, maybe, like, this might be the least uh, amusing uh, decision day in a really long time, um, uh, where there's really about two games that actually matter, and everything else is kind of like, eh, you're all in the playoffs, who cares? Uh, Sport Shield wrapped up, who cares? Um, so yeah, I, interesting decision day to talk about, but I still think there's plenty of fun storylines in all of it. Yeah, so we'll talk about that, Dan, but obviously we've got some bigger things. There's a lot of stuff that's happened since last we podcasted as well, so we'll get into that. But uh, Dan, you mentioned it earlier, and so we are primarily a men's soccer podcast, I can say here, folks. We do care about the women's game. We do try to cover it when it's relevant. I'll be honest, I'm not the biggest expert of it. Um, uh, Dan, it's unfortunate that Rachel's not here to, you know, spit some fire takes on this one as well. But you cover, uh, amongst many other things for the Kansas City Star, um, the local team in Kansas City. And uh, we got a report. Uh, officially, everything was released from the NWSL Sally Yates investigation regarding the ongoing um, what they've now described as systematic abuse that has taken place within the league. Um, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. There is still a separate but related U.S. soccer investigation that is going on with that. Go ahead, Dan. Uh, flip those two. So the Sally Yates report um, is a U.S. soccer report and has to do specifically from the U.S. soccer perspective. It was U.S. soccer's USSF Cindy Parlo Cohn president who initiated that report with uh, from Sally Yates and said that that was who we wanted to investigate that. The NWSL and the NWSL players investigation are still currently working on a joint uh, investigation into everything as well from a league perspective. Um I know because U.S. soccer and NWSL have been so intertwined for its entire existence, um, I 
it, it feels like it was a, a lot of this was very inside NWSL, which it was because of how intertwined everything has been between the Federation and the league um, in terms of operation, in terms of oversight and back and forth and or as this report said, lack of oversight or lack of any sort of institutional structure. Um, so the so those um, those two reports are, are are separate. This one was the NWSL report uh, with the NWSL Players Association. It, their investigation is expected to wrap up within the calendar year. Some have Merritt Paulson, however trustworthy his word can be, um, it, which is not very much at the moment. Um, said that the report was supposed to be done by November was supposed to be released in November. Um, league sources uh, rebuffed that to multiple um, journalists, including John Tannenwald, uh, who made that one public first. So um, yeah, there there's a lot still to come. There was a lot that came out this week um, as well. Uh, pretty close to a year on from the first real um, snowball uh, event of the, the kind of reckoning that we saw um, come uh, across the game last year, a year on now we're, Yeah, um, listeners, you can just Google, and I'm sure any uh, outlet that's worth its salt will link the actual report that has come from the law firm Case Law, um, King and Spalding, um, that reported it. But the key quote that I think, Dan, at least for me, that a bunch of other outlets have quoted that I will quote now here from the report directly, our investigation has revealed a league in which abuse and misconduct, verbal and emotional abuse and sexual misconduct has become systematic, spanning multiple teams, coaches, and victims. Abuse in the NWSL is rooted in a deeper culture in women's soccer, beginning in youth leagues that normalizes verbal abuse, verbally abusive coaches and blurs boundaries between coaches and players, end quote. Uh, there's a bunch of people who've reported a bunch of stuff on this, Dan. Um, Megalyn Hanover, The Athletic, has been really good. Feel free to shout out any other sources or something that you're working on for the Casey Star at all, um, if you like. But basically, that um there's verbal um emotional and in some cases sexual abuse in the lower reaches of soccer in america for women in ways that it is not as widespread systematic and ubiquitous in the men's game that extends all the way up to the professional game and as we've seen unfortunately in too many situations with multiple teams basically correct me if i'm wrong dan i guess maybe not kansas city because they're in their first year of existence but i feel like every single nwsl team that exists like has had a black mart at this point um namely obviously the uh portland thorns which um since this report has come out have dismissed gavin wilkinson and mike gulup gallup um as well from that but basically dan uh, this happens it happens enough to the point where it's as best just like culturally like um what's the word that i'm 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 looking for like subconscious in what it's happening or worst case ingrained in our behavior or it's borderline just become the standard quo of behavior and sweeping under the rug and this is normally where the main predators the offenders in this are old white men in positions of power over these women, and they are usually have been, when they have been found out, when there's been questions, when there's been an internal investigation, uh, they have usually been swept under the rug by other old white, rich, powerful men in positions of power over these women, and it is only after something gets reported on, something gets leaked, it gets thoroughly investigated by an outside body, and then all of the skeletons come out of the closet that finally anybody is held accountable, and it usually still even then requires um, a public outroar from the fan base and the greater public. You know, Dan, there was a really good, um, one of the Portland Timbers um, 
uh, excuse me, not Portland Timbers, Portland Thorns supporters groups, uh, you know, um, had a really poignant statement for me that said, like, don't come to conclusions or anything until the report's actually out. They waited, and then, then they basically said that uh, Gavin Wilkinson and Gulab need to go. And, you know, I don't know if we want to go down this rabbit hole yet, just, just yet, Dan, but if other owners in American soccer are unfit to be owners because they openly make racist jokes, reportedly say the N-word, and in one case openly makes a lynching joke to Kellen Acosta to his face, if that makes you unworthy? Dan, if all of that makes you unfit to own a professional soccer team in the United States, then I think we have to point out at this point, you know, is Merritt Paulson a, a fit and proper owner for either the Portland Thorns or the Portland Timbers? And I legitimately don't think so. Um, so Dan, I've said a lot. I've provided a lot of information. Um, I, I think the big thing for me, Dan, as detailed as this report was, none of it really surprises me. Um, the nuanced details, other than I think pointing to like other people who've been victimized and having their names out there so that they can get some level of vindication, I think is important, but it's nothing in this report ultimately surprised me. And I think unfortunately, with the exception of, you know, the, um, now unemployed people who were formerly with the Portland Timbers and maybe a question about Merritt Paulson. Um, you know, I, I don't know that any of these guys, we're, we're not going to get the perp walk that I think we want, you know, where the bad guy gets arrested and a bunch of media are there, you know, like you got at the end of Shawshank Redemption and anything. These people have moved on or they've already been found out. I guess my bigger question is what's not in this report that's potentially out there in the ether or has only happened one or two times with one coach that hasn't been reported on. You know, like at this point, I, I almost think there needs to be like a, a consistent like monitoring of basically every single male head coach and male GM in the NWSL the rest of the way. And if that's what, you know, if, if the next up and coming men's coach who wants to work in women's soccer has to feel like he's being watched by I don't want to make Big Brother because then that implies, you know, male implications in here. But, you know, like is being watched by a third party that's going to monitor him. And that's what we have to do so that there so that the women's soccer actually is a safe space for these athletes and everything. I, I don't have a better a better solution. Dan, I'm rambling and incoherent. You talk. No, it's OK. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, this was really interesting, too. So um, I don't know if you got a chance to see the E60 doc. And for listeners, if you haven't seen the E60 um, doc that's out there really details a lot about um, Richie Burke and uh, excuse me uh, Paul Riley um, what the Sally H the Sally H report actually came out after the completion of the E60 doc however the E60 doc actually went public after the Sally H thing came out so uh, I got a preview of the e the E60 doc um, they sent it to those who uh, cover the women's game deeply, um, gave us kind of an embargo on any sort of articles that we would write on it until a certain date um, to allow preview and kind of pump it up. And then also in my head, I'm like thinking Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday's big. Monday, the Yates report drops and I said, oh crap. And so the first thing I did was I've kind of, I read over the, the her summary in it. I read over uh, the table of contents Um and then I went specifically to the Christy Holly side of this. Um, Christy Holly is the former head coach of Louisville uh, Racing Louisville, who have existed for two years as a NWSL soccer club. He was the first coach that they hired. And to read of the horrific account of his sexual abuse of a player um, uh, and abusive behavior um, 
dating back to his time at Sky Blue, the lack of uh, people at Sky Blue giving a proper detail about what happened at Sky Blue, and then Louisville, despite getting a few mainly bad reviews about him, still said Sky Blue gave us glowing reviews. We think he's going to be a great coach and hired him. And because of that, they uh, a player that they brought in uh, was sexually abused um, in a in in a one on one film session that these coaches are having with players. That's where multiple Mana Shim had a one on. That's that's what happened with her um, as part of her details uh, uh, that happened with the Paul with Paul Riley. Um, that's what happened with Christy Hawley. At some point, like you have to say, like okay, we're not doing this one on one. And if we're do we're not doing it one on one at at my house. We're not doing it one on one in an apartment. We're doing it one on one in a facility that has a in our a, a room at our facility. If you have a facility and do it and doing it on camera, and that's the problem. Is there's so many working conditions. Uh, a lack of proper working conditions that weren't in place in, in some of these early years. That's also in the in this Yates report. Um, think about the fact that uh, the FC Kansas City reported to the league in 2014 players that um, their training table was literally in the and training room was the apartment living room of at at the largest apartment that a player owned inside their apartment complex that the entire team stayed at. That that's that 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 was their training room. So when they go to receive wraps, go to receive any sort of massages or anything like that, all is done in a player's living room for an entire season because they didn't have the necessary facilities. So then you don't have a facility that has meeting rooms, that has cameras in it, that is going to protect and safeguard players from ever being put in that situation if they are one on one with the coach. Like the coach, there's cameras, so it's either caught. Or the coaches or whatever is deterred. The problem is the fact that these people who were bad people have perpetually been pushed up a ladder of coaching inside U.S. soccer. Um, the report detailed the fact that Paul Riley, um, sorry, maybe not Paul Riley. I think it was Rory Dames, Rory Dames, Holly Christie, or and Christy Holly, um, did not have the requisite license the USSFA license that was required or an equivalent license that was required to coach in the NWSL for seven of the eight years that Rory Dames coached Chicago Red Stars. He did not have a USSFA USSF license. And then in the eighth year, despite there being reports against him in safe sport already from his youth club, Chicago applied for a waiver from USSF and got one to give him just gift him the USSFA license. Holly, Christy Holly was in the middle of his USSFA license courses. And like, at some point, you have to say this guy doesn't have the proper credentials. He doesn't have the proper things, let alone the backlog of complaints that we have against him. I, I, I mean, there's so many times in this report, and th that, that's just two instances. There's so many times in this report where the buck continually got passed, as Matt mentioned, by from. The buck got passed for old white men by old white men to continue to further old white men in a women's game. And there was nothing done about it. Um, the Yates report total in total is about 300 something pages long. Um, a good portion of that uh, is um, 156 of that uh, of those pages is just accusations about everything that has gone on from 157 on. 
is a uh, summary of the recommendations from Sally Yates. Um, you can find it. The, the report's available on ESPN. It's available on Twitter. You search Sally Yates uh, NWSL report. Uh, you'll you'll find it. Um, it'll it'll be there. Um, I recommend if you uh, like for a, a trigger warning here. Like if you if this stuff is triggering for you, if you have a past, um, beware as you wade into it because it spells it out pretty plainly and clearly about what went on um, between this. Um, we're talking blurred lines of relationships between coaches and players. Um, we're talking about um, players being coerced into it. Uh, I mean, it's just really, really sickening and disgusting. And I, I, you know, on Monday I read the part about Christy Hawley and I just cried because I can't imagine as a, as a father of a daughter, as many of these guys will try and push on for real as a, as a girl dad, as a hashtag girl dad, I can't, I like it's, it is fearsome to me that one day that could potentially be my daughter in that situation. And I, it is so infuriating that other people would allow that to take place because winning and money, a lot of this was done because it goes into it in the age report. Wages were suppressed. Players had to at times feel desperate um, for their careers and that allowed people in positions of power to manipulate them. Um, the word manipulate is used heavily when it comes to Paul Riley. Um, I mean, we're talking not just, I mean, take away the, the sexual uh, allegations against him and all of this. We're talking the guy used, weaponized players' weight and diet habits against them in training. Said, you can't get to that ball because you ate this. I mean, come on. Like, there, there's just, I mean, it's so ridiculously abusive and uh, pathetic that these reports get met goes up that report was made about paul riley when he was in north carolina guess what it made its way all the way up the ladder in the league made it all the way back down and had a conversation about paul and paul basically said you don't really have a policy that talks about this and guess what the nwsl at every step didn't have policies they did not have an anti uh, was it anti i think it was an anti-sexual harassment bullying they, it was an anti-sexual harassment policy until like last year. I mean, for of a women's league for 10 years, there was no policy in place that truly protected any of them. And just, you know, and they'll, they'll say, oh, there was. And they never responded to emails from reporters and people, uh, investigators uh, with that actual report. Um, Megan Burke. The uh, the NWSL Players Association president has never seen a copy of the of the anti uh, harassment uh, policy that uh, that supposedly existed back in those days, despite asking multiple people. She doesn't believe she'll ever see it. So, like this this whole thing is just so frustrating and infuriating. Um, but I'm also I'm so there, there's a couple of things that have happened too. Um, in, in response to it, at least relatively quickly, um, I will note that once the abuse was was give, was made aware to Racing Louisville, they fired Holly for cause 
with like within 24 hours of learning that there was a player that even had that type of complaint to get him against him. So like props to just doing it and getting it done with making sure that was gone immediately, not lingering on the report, letting the season play out. And then, you know, finally at the end of the year, we're just not going to quote renew your contract despite firing you for cause. The problem is that they ha- they put him through a non-disclosure agreement. So nobody was ever supposed to know about what actually happened also disgusting and sleazy but at least at least louisville cut the head off the snake the moment that they knew they the snake that they hired was actually a snake shocking right um uh then uh on the other side of it too um portland obviously immediately fired mike golub and uh and gavin wilkins i won't say immediately fired um Merritt said he was going to take a step back and remove Golub and uh, Wilkinson from having any duties with Portland Thorns. Um, and But then fired the next day, they were completely terminated um, of their employment from with uh, the Portland Timbers and the Portland Thorns. So Wilkinson was GM for both sides. He's completely gone. Golub, business guy for both teams, completely gone. Um, Merritt's I, I, every Portland person will tell you Merritt's the next to go. Whether or not MLS has not has supported him in saying that they don't want to see him sell the Timbers, um, as they are technically two different uh, entities, the question is whether or not you can find a buyer um, for the Thorns that are just going to take the Thorns as it is, and then how does that hostility work back and forth between MP and a different owner for a team that has been entirely synonymous and, uh, uh, I guess intertwined with the Portland Timbers. Um, so that's a, a huge question about the future of, of Portland. And then Chicago's Board of Governors, uh, Red Stars, Board of Governors, Board of Directors, um, have done everything they can to basically um, uh, minimize Artem Weisler, their owner, um, who was also made aware of the many shocking allegations against Rory Dames, which you can find in the NW, in the Sally H report. Um we're talking weird, creepy things of like having youth players give him massages, as well as mentioning the fact that the uh, age of uh, consent was much lower in other countries to other coaches um, for the youth players all the way up to um, the pro level where Kristen Press um, has said that she's been in therapy because she played under Rory Dames um, in Chicago. And then uh, so Arnim Weisler has been forced out. Uh, of any sort of uh, was the coach who hired uh, Rory Dames because Rory coached his daughter's youth club um, and then coached and then was made aware of all of these allegations and said these players just don't like being yelled at. They just want the league to fail, blah, 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 blah. All that came out. Um, fans have been asking for him to sell the team. He hasn't refused to. Uh, Board of Governors finally has forced him out. Um, of any type of thing that they can and are in the process of trying to get his shares sold off as quick as possible. So Chicago has made a move there in that term. Um, Washington, uh, you know, I I think this NWSL PA report is still going to have a few things that come out. Um, Houston Dynamo fired or the Houston uh, Dash fired their head coach at the beginning of the year, as did Orlando, um, which is the reason why former – Middlesbrough man and MLS man Sebastian Hines has been the head coach of Orlando Pride uh, through the rest of the season. Um, there's other, you know, exits that have happened uh, that are going to be part of that, that will come out in this NWSL and NWSLPA joint investigation. And um, that's just going to add to it. Now, whether or not those were 
um, along the same lines as Paul Riley, Rory Dames, uh, Christy Hawley, who knows, um, are they abusive? Are they um, actions of retribution taken against players that uh, they have problems with, a.k.a. Uh, you don't want to do this for me, fine, I'll trade you, um, I'll send you to the smallest hellhole of a place that I can, uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, is in there or uh, retribution within the team of a player won't do this for me. So I'm going to bench them, AKA, um, you know, uh, kind of coercing players that way and keeping their thumb on players in that manner. So there's going to be more that will come out probably by the end of the year. Um, There's six, I believe six new head coaches in the NWSL at this point, Um, uh, eight total within this year um, that have coached uh, this year. Uh, which is just an, an insane. Um, luckily for Kansas City, um, I mean, I the, the other part that I did was I searched any sort of Kansas City reference in the report um, before, so I could make sure I didn't have to like you know pump out an article that said things were bad, things were happening poorly in Kansas City. Um, I think that stuff has been well documented too with FC Kansas City and their lack of ownership uh, care. Um, and investment truly into what's happening. That's just why they went to an even worse situation in Sandy, Utah under Delroy Hansen. Um, thank God we have, uh, thank God we have Chris and Angie Long in Kansas City um, for what they're doing now. Uh, today, before recording this, I literally am coming back from a massive party uh, downtown uh, with all kinds of dignitaries um, for their groundbreaking, for their soccer-specific stadium, for a women's professional team. Like, that, it's the first of its kind. Like, nobody has done that. They have built a training facility um, that uh, rivals some of the training facilities in MLS uh, in terms of what they have equipped to it. They're building a stadium uh, with a beautiful view of the river and downtown. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I think, I'm hoping... That at on the back side of this report, what we do is we've done is is we've identified the perpetrators, we've identified the bad apples, and we can pull them back so we can have more people like Chris and Angie Long um, that want to invest in teams. Uh, there, there's an interesting thing in the report too about um, how there was a prospective buyer um, for the Boston Breakers and. Uh, it basically had to do with whether or not they were going to keep Christy Hawley on as head coach. And they asked the people who liked Hawley, despite in, uh, in his previous stop um, there, they had uh, basically asked, is he going to stay on as coach? They said, we'd like for him to stay on as coach. And they said, well, I have no interest in this team in buying this team and keeping it alive. If this guy's going to be the head coach. And sure enough, right after that, um, the Boston Breakers folded two days later uh, and ceased operations. But it was an owner that said, I'm doing this because I care about women's sports. I care about investing in, in women uh, and female athletes. And I, I care about making this as legitimate and professional as possible. Those are the owners the NWSL needs back uh, into the fold. And so the, the sooner that we can do that across the board um, – what you've got going on in San Diego and LA is pretty darn good. What you've got going on here in Kansas City is pretty darn good. I'll say what you've got going on uh, in Seattle with the rain, pretty darn good um, in terms of ownership and good people. We need more of that within the league. I hope we continue to see more of that within the league because um, it, it's it will help 
it will truly help the NWSL move past this black eye that is going to be a black eye for a while, but has been a black eye for over a year now. And we're just really finding out how deep the bruising is. Let's move on, Dan. There's a lot. Today we got, There's a lot. Yes. Um, uh, earlier today, um, and again, there are many other people who are better at talking about this and more in tune with this beat than I am. Dan, I'm sure you had and will continue to have stuff over at the Kansas City Star. Again, once again, shout out our co-host, Rachel Krigger. Um, and then I, I think, Dan, at least my main go-to other than, you know, for women's soccer stuff is Meg Linehan over at The Athletic. Um, they had a really good... Um, piece in the athletic uh, daily soccer show that you could find and I'm sure they'll have plenty of other stuff on this as more stuff comes out and as we get that second report that's coming out by the end of the year regardless of when Merritt Paulson thinks it's actually getting released Um, but earlier today listeners we got news of the Leafs Cup 2023 dates and structure that they're going to have Um, this is of course the new format for the competition which will include all Liga MX and MLS teams pausing their regular season league plays for the better part of a month well technically um, technically 29 days Dan as we'll be going from July 21st through August 19th for the tournament there's going to be a group stage as we knew that the MLS Cup winner and then the um, Liga MX champion from the Clausura and the Apertura for 2022 that had the most combined points will both get a buy from the group stage. Uh, when we get to the group stage, I believe it'll be 15 groups. Um, they will be seated. So you will have the um, MLS team seated 2 through 16 based on where they finished in the Supporter Shield. Dan, I, I'm not sure if this is right. I think it's just, I, it should technically be 1 through 16, but then throwing out the Supporter Shield winner. I don't know if they mix that up, but that's implying that the Supporter Shield winner, the first place team in the Supporter Shield, is getting a buy from the group stage when it's actually the MLS Cup winner. But in any case, and then the Liga MX teams also rank from that 2 through 16. And then they'll be reversed from that. So the second place team uh, from the Supporters Shield will be in the same group with the Clausura Apertura combined point total League MX team uh, 16. So basically the NCAA seedings that you're used to seeing, you know, 216, 315, 4. 14, et cetera, et cetera. You guys can do math. At least I hope most of our listeners can do math. And then the remaining 13 MLS teams, basically the bottom of the pile. And then because this math doesn't really work out perfectly, the final two Liga MX teams will be drawn into a random, uh, will be drawn into groups uh, and then divided geographically. There will be four regions. Um, It'll be East, West, Central, and South. Dan, I'm really curious to see where RSL and Colorado Rapids get thrown into because I think with St. Louis coming in, there's enough South teams for them to not be in the South, but we're not exactly North. I think we're mostly West, but we'll see where we go from a Central standpoint. But um, this always seems to come up, Dan, when somebody comes up with the, oh, we should move uh, MLS from two conferences to four divisions, and somehow it always happens to be that RSL and Colorado get split up. And okay, so then we move on from that. So we get to the group stage. All group stage matches taking place in the United States will be home games for the most part at MLS Stadia for the MLS teams in groups of three. Dan, they kind of put in a provision that that could change. I would assume if we're talking like big Liga MX opponent against one of the two LA teams, they might move that to a larger venue. Um, but that might be on a case by case basis or something, you know, like that. Um, you know, if it's a big enough opponent, I think you could value. Um, I don't know if Yankee Stadium or one of the ballparks or maybe even MetLife would be available in New York. What would be a so like Inter Miami versus you know one of the traditional 
national powers in Mexico, I think would be worth moving to Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, regardless of when, regardless of the eventual capacity, the long-term capacity of um, Inter-Miami's actual Miami-Dade County-based stadiums, that would be. So there'll be a few examples of that going on. My understanding is, so with the three teams in the group, it'll be three, um, so two group stage games effectively. Um, And then no ties, Dan. It's going to be one point if we finish tied after 90 minutes, and then we're going to penalties after that with the winner getting an extra point, and then obviously a regulation win, if we're using a hockey term here, Dan, uh, would get you three points. So then the group winners move on. We'll go to a round of 32 with 16 matches, and then at that point, 16-game elimination, just like the World Cup. And then from a CCL standpoint, Dan, um, the third-place match winner will qualify for CONCACAF Champions League automatically, and then the two finalists, regardless of whether it's Liga MX versus MLS, MLS versus MLS, or um, a split between the two will also qualify for the round of 16 in CONCACAF Champions League. Dan, supposedly there will be a substantial financial reward for the League's Cup winner. And then I haven't seen, it's not obvious to me, Dan, that the final will be at a neutral site game or would just be a home game for, well, I guess you'd have to have that in plan because in theory there's not an MLS team to have a home game hosted there. But that those details have not been provided. Uh, Dan, this is an interesting combination tournament, obviously. Um, uh, I think it's really interesting the format that we're going to see. It's forcing actual competition in a large, like, sample size and lots of teams that we could have this conversation about. Obviously, this past year was the first year that a MLS team had won Champions League, but I don't think there's any doubt that the top of the cream in MLS is better than the top of the cream in MLS. But one thing that I've always wondered is, you know, uh, how many MLS teams that have been cannon fodder in the playoffs would beat Juarez the one year that they get promoted is an interesting question. I think the marker for a better league in Europe, Dan, is not necessarily can Manchester City beat everybody, but could Crystal Palace beat Nice in a two-leg series? And so now we're actually going to get something competitive that is going to show that. I really hope this doesn't just end up in the Liga MX team wiping the floor with two MLS with the two MLS teams. The one concern that I do have, Dan, is this is a whole calendar year. I don't know how this works with the playoff schedule and the already crowded schedule that you have for most MLS teams to say nothing of if a team advances deeply into one of the domestic cup competitions or has a run in CCL and then has a busy summer with Leagues Cup. And then, oh, by the way, August 19th, you're what, two months out from the stretch run for the playoffs and everything. And then potentially in that same time, you've got a 29 game period, a 29 day period where a bunch of MLS teams are just going to play two games and have nothing to do for two, two and a half weeks. And potentially a supporter shield winner could randomly draw a really good Liga MX team, lose in penalties, and then effectively play one game in a month. I, I don't know how to balance that, but I also don't have a better way of scheduling in the 34 game regular season and then all the other stuff that you have going on other than maybe expanding the roster has been my only plausible idea. Dan, I've been talking a lot and rambling a lot. So again, I'm going to throw it to you. You've been talking and rambling a lot. I've been talking a lot and rambling a lot. Shoot, man. <clears throat> um yeah i i don't know man I, I i have always called this the copa cash grab i'm glad this is like an actual legitimate thing that we're trying to do now um okay i'm not glad that we're trying to do this but i'm glad that they're trying to make it a legitimate like thing not just like eh, we're just gonna throw these like four teams out there and do single games and good luck we're just gonna put it in giant stadiums and hope uh we make a crap ton of money about it I, I'm I'm interested to see how this plays out uh, with the calendar. I've heard some rumors about the MLS scheduling next year that um, 
make me think that MLS is doing their best to really alleviate heavy travel to allow um, for teams to not uh, overexert, um, uh, especially uh, when it comes to this. Um, remind every MLS team will get a home game. So this sucks for all the Liga MX teams because they they got to play it in the U.S. Like they're they're going to play it quote on the road for those 29 days if they make it that long. So like Sporting gets a home game and then we'll have to travel because they assuredly can't make top 16. Um, you can you can make the playoffs and still not be top 16 in the supporter shield standings. So that's that that's possible. The Rapids have a shot at getting yes, top the Rapids 16. Are, I mean that, yeah. that's that's a possibility that if you're a top 16 team in MLS, you get two home games, one against the MLS opponent and one against a uh, Liga MX opponent. So I'm really interested to see how um, how that works out, uh, what the travel looks like for the rest of those teams once the the, the tournament continues to progress. Um, I, I'm interested to see how it all plays out. I will give them the benefit of the doubt in year one of this mass experiment um, to like convince me that it's going to work. I don't I, I am tired of like seeing something on paper and thinking this is stupid and like ripping it up and like tossing it behind my head and being like oh, wait, yeah, this really isn't that bad. I just got, you know, my my boxers in a bunch uh, for no freaking reason. Um, so I just because, you know, rabble-rousing and being uh, angry uh, online uh, got me a bunch of, like, likes and retweets or something like that. So I, I think I, I'm very open to, to this, um, to seeing how it actually progresses. The fact that they have not only put a cash prize, but a... Um, uh, uh, CONCACAF Champions League spots um, at the top of it makes it feel legit. Um, I mean, you're qualifying for the Champions League if you place top three in this tournament. Um, it, it'll be a very intriguing thing. I What I'm curious about is how fans take it in terms of... So I'm, I'm trying to... Th- like, obviously, people hate this, like... Cup was it the Copa Campeones Cup, Copa Campeones, whatever it is, Champions Cup, whatever the heck it is, where they company cup, cup, cup. Yes, the uh, whatever cup that we have created again, um, between uh between uh the winner of MLS Cup and the winner of the uh the little expecting ex- little playoff thing that they do in Mexico, um, between the two uh cup or the the Apertura and the Clausura uh winners, I can't remember what it's called. Anyways, um, like that, that kind of stuff made up fans don't really care. But like the Atlas supporters are like, gosh, we went to freaking New York and got shredded. Like, I don't really, it doesn't matter though. We're really worried about the league, uh, and all of this stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how fans truly embrace that. Um, I think for the most part, major league soccer, like true major league soccer fans really do care about the U S open cup. Um, whether or not their teams do is another story. Um, the casual fans are the ones that you're going to have to convince that their dollars are worth this. Um, uh, and coming to these games, their dollars are worth that. Um, so, like, our team's going to take it serious if they're in the middle of, like, a run and they're like, oh, man, we can take a month off. Like, we can kind of, you know, take out a rhythm a little bit. We've got a lot of games coming up. Like, can we just, we just throw the academy kids out there a la sporting against Leon last year? Um, I can't like how seriously is it going to be taken top to bottom and is the league going to try and like get after people to make it, to take it serious. Um, that, that, that's another thing. So there's so many other things that are going to be necessary. I feel like foresight MLS would expand the rosters. 
but they're going to do it in hindsight. And that's what's going to happen here is that we're going to see this season that, oh gosh, it was such a massive crunch. These teams were playing near 50 games. We've never played that many in MLS before. Uh, now we've got to do, uh, we've got to really expand these rosters and make it more feasible if we're going to keep on adding all these match days. Um, because if you're halting play for 29 days um, across the league, guess what you're doing? You're putting those games somewhere else. Um, so that means more double game weeks. Um, that means more hectic travel congestions. That means more potential for weather interruptions. I mean, this means more crap. Uh, that, that that teams are and players are going to have to go to. Do they have the rosters to be able to do that? And does Liga Emekis even have the rosters to do that? This is supposed to be an entire – this month, that window is their off season between the, the Apertura and the Clausura. I mean, that, that's when players are supposed to be getting – are supposed to be rehabbing and supposed to be uh, on a, a very light, uh, uh, you know, keep your cardio um, type thing. And then they go into a preseason for a couple of months, and then they're bang right back into the regular season again. Like this is now going to be no break there. So how do those players react to that? That's those are all major questions that I have about how this is all going to shake out. I'm very interested to see see it. Um, as Matt said, I feel like I'm rambling now, uh, and so I'll probably stop talking at this point. Um, but I I'm I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to watch. I'm willing to be patient this year. I have a lot of questions, and when they are or are not answered this season. Um, then we can revisit in a year. But overall, I think it's good that every single MLS team gets a Liga Emekis home game uh, opponent for a home game. Um, and you're rewarding the the teams uh, that do well, uh, that are in the top 16 of the Supporters' Shield standings, uh, minus the MLS Cup winner. You're rewarding those teams uh, for... Um, you're rewarding those teams for uh, uh, for their good performances. Um, and I think that uh, by giving them two home games and no travel. Um, so I think that's important um, aspect of it all. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see one of the questions. Where did the expansion team do the expansion teams just slot in? It's like St. Louis going to slot in as MLS number 28. Like, are we are we going to go alphabetical? Like, what, what do we do with uh, their thing? Are they going to try and give them two home games uh, because they want to want to push uh, St. Louis or something? I, I don't know. Um, questions I have that, like I said, I'm curious to see how they'll be answered over the next year. Yeah, Dan, can we Dan, can we take a moment of silence for FC Dallas, who I'm sure are going to be one of the two MLS teams in a group with two League MX opponents, just so MLS can force Dallas to play two games at Jerry World because they want the because they want the Capitalism Cup. And also, I'm very, very excited to see Austin FC drawn with Club Leon or Santos Laguna so that they can move their game instead of from Q2 to the campus of the University of Texas at Austin so it can look like Baylor invaded a Longhorns football game. <laughs> as long as everybody very, does very horns good. down for a goal celebration, I'm good. I am I am so here for that. Okay. Um so Dan, let's move to the actual MLS soccer. It's, it's been a, it's going to be a long pod, folks. Um it's been a while since we've talked. Obviously, we had a news dump of a week and obviously we have, you know, the most important um regular season match day of Major League Soccer coming up. But uh, Dan, since last we podcasted, um, LAFC has officially clinched the 2022 Supporter Shield. I'll be honest, I was backing Philly right up until this past weekend and everything, and LAFC managed to pull it out. And for all the qualms that we maybe had going into the last international break, um, they got a result and Philly didn't. Philly losing to Charlotte 4-0, probably their 
uh, most disappointing and embarrassing loss of the season. Granted, a Charlotte team that at the time was fighting for their playoff lives. Charlotte had since been eliminated with the 2-2 draw they had last night at time of recording against Columbus Crew and LAFC with a close and hard-fought 2-1 victory over the Portland Timbers. Um, Dan, say what we will about the ups and the downs and everything. This is an extremely talented team. Steve Sherundolo has done a fantastic job as a first-year head coach. He's really calmed things down. They have um, a lot of really talented players, and for the most part, they put themselves in a position to be successful. I'm still not sure what you do at center back and in a front three, given the fact that with playoff games, you know, it's going to be every four or five days, and I'm not sure Chiellini or Gareth Bale, even with the bye week in the first round, are fit to play, what, 270 minutes over, I have to go back and look at the schedule, but we'll say over the course of two weeks and everything. I still think that Bale and Vela are a little bit redundant that make it simple to deal with them tactically, but Maxine Cripo is amazing. This is a very good roster. This is a very well-coached team. This is ultimately the most talented and the best team in the regular season. I still feel emotionally like I want the Philadelphia Union to win MLS Cup, but Dan, I think we do have to give LAFC their dues. Um, We thought that they were basically a cheat code three months ago, and then a month ago we were like, how are they screwing this up? And they managed to not screw it up against the Portland Timbers. Yeah. Um, Props to them. Uh I thought they were I thought that they were on their path to self-destruction for a while. Um I'm as you I still have a lot of questions about whether LAFC um are even the best team in the West right now. I'm not even sure any of the top 3 in the West are the best teams in the West right now. The West is freaking confusing. Honestly, Sporting Kansas City's been the best team in the West over the last month and, and like since since August 1st and like they're not going to sniff the playoffs. I I am just I the West is so weird. Um but they have really with their early season performances and with the early season struggles around the West too. Um you know, the LAFC really got out to their jump, not by taking care of, they've taken care of most every single Eastern Conference team that they played, but they smashed every single West Co- Western Conference team early in the season. Um, they pushed through them. They just, they were like a buzzsaw at the beginning of the year. Um, the buzzsaw has kind of hit a few thicker pieces of wood along the way. Um, maybe some trees have gotten a little bit thicker and have been harder to cut through and, and, and to expose. Um, however, they've been able to pick up points as they went keep themselves in there. Um, Philly really did not really come on until like June um, where they really just started turning up the heat. Um, and because they had a later start, LAFC had the jump start on it. This week was, this season was five weeks longer. Um, honest at this, from this point on one sporting Kansas city is making the playoffs Two, uh, Philadelphia might still end up being the shield winners. I, I, I think that's a possibility, um, but it's just the way the season went. Um, it's a 34 game season. If you don't take care of your points all the way from the beginning of the year, um, and through, um, when you make mistakes towards the end and you don't have that cushion, um, built up because you had good results from day one, uh, that's where this kind of falls. And, you know, I think it's incredible that Philly got as close as they did, uh, with the budget, the roster that they're working with. Philly is a team that is greater than the sum of its parts because it has a very good coach and a very um, well-tuned and well-executed system. LAFC are just brilliant all over the field um, and have been uh, for the majority of the season. I think it's pretty deserving that they end up uh, getting the, getting that road win in Portland and, uh, and getting it done. Um, Props to them. 
man, I, I'm happy to see, I mean, for the sake of merit, I'm happy to see uh, another team celebrate on his home turf and lift a trophy. Um, it's not like they were directly competing against Portland for that trophy. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I LAFC deserved winners uh, of the Supporters' Shield. Uh, congrats to Philly on a great run and a great season. Um, but I think I think Philly's the type of team that you really should be fearing in the playoffs, in my opinion, too. I agree as well, Dan. So let's move on. Next topic that we have um, also. So um, as I mentioned earlier, folks, um, Charlotte uh, officially missed the playoffs. But Dan, I'll say for a team that was for a team that had all of the chaos that you had in a first year expansion season with everything that came out with the, you know, we're screwed, quote, getting rid of a head coach. I'm I'm still not sure that I'm not sure that all three of their DPs are going to be back or that all three of them are hits. You know, I, I think there's clearly been, you know, an up and down year for uh, Swindersky, their big shoulders, uh, big Polish striker and everything. But the foundation's certainly there. I think there were a lot of concerns about whether or not um, them playing at the Bank of America Stadium was going to be, you know, a big cavernous stadium that an MLS team couldn't feel. I think for the most part, the fans have proven themselves out, and it's certainly a step in the right direction, and there's clearly a foundation for them to build on. And I think the fact that it was, you know, technically the second to the last match day that they were eliminated from the playoffs, you know, there's been many other MLS teams that had this bad of a roster build that didn't see the, the hubris in the past of that bad roster build that their season was over well before that. If we're talking about FC Cincinnati, I throw Orlando in there. I throw the first year of Minnesota and they're like the only two really modern expansion teams, Dan, that have had success in their first year are LAFC and Atlanta. And what have they had? A first team head coach, a first year head coach that absolutely crushed it, ownership that spent money and built the roster right, and then a big name DP that was a massive factor. Joseph Martinez for Atlanta. I know his future's in doubt, and obviously Carlos Vela, who I can't remember if he won MVP that year or not, Dan, but in any case, like, you know, that's pretty hard to beat given that Carol Swindersky and Rios, as fantastic as he's been at times this season, neither of them was 2017 Joseph Martinez, 2018 Carlos Vela. And so I think, uh, so Dan, I'll, I'll throw it to you. I'll, I'll throw the two questions to you. One, I think props to Charlotte on doing way better than I think either of us expected. And I also think, Mark, we need to, uh, Dan, we need to take a moment to point out that, you know, Seattle Sounders officially are eliminated for the playoffs. I still can't fully believe it. I was at a wedding in Maine over the weekend, so I didn't physically watch it, but I pulled up Twitter and I was like, wait, what do you mean this is actually somewhere deep down in my Freudian subconscious, Dan? I was still believing the Seattle Sounders were going to find a way to to make the playoffs. And then they didn't get the result last weekend for the first time in their MLS history. They will not make the playoffs. I still think this season is success. Dan, I think if you ask every single Rapids and every single San Jose Earthquakes fan, would you be willing, would you want to win CCL and in exchange you don't make the playoffs that year? I think every single Rapids and Quakes fan would absolutely take that. So I still think it's a success for Seattle, but it's a thing that obviously a lot of trolls on Twitter are going to get at them and the comments and everything, and it's going to be banter. And look, um, you know, the fan base that has the most hammers makes the most noise. So that's the Sounders in this case. But uh, Dan, your thoughts on the the failure of these two clubs making not missing out on the playoffs and the significance of what it says about their seasons and their futures. Uh, so I'll say this about Charlotte. Um, Charlotte really reminds me of year one Nashville. Year one Nashville, though, had the benefit of um, a better back line, a coherent coaching job from the beginning and 
uh, a, a, an expanded playoff field that allowed like 10 teams in uh, from the Eastern Conference, and they were even on the fringe of that. Um, so, yes, they got a home playoff game. It's because they gave like seeds seven through 10 home playoff games in a, in a, in a knockout stage, and they went on to win games. I think if I if you put Charlotte in that expanded playoff field right now, I think they might upset somebody. Like they, they're, they're, I think they're good enough to do that. So to me, they're they're uh, by by the eye test, not necessarily by paper and by history. You made the playoffs. Um, they Charlotte FC was better than Austin. Um, Charlotte FC was better than Orlando. Um, everybody's ever been better than Toronto um, and FC Cincinnati and Minnesota in those first years. So um, props to them. I third fourth best expansion team in mls history is like not bad that's pretty darn good um and i i they were an entertaining team to watch at times they had great atmosphere good fan base so if i'm charlotte i find this year to be a success they didn't finish last they were significantly better than than a good portion of the teams within their own conference um and i maybe miles better than dc miles better than chicago um you could argue that they were maybe within the same boat if they had better results and had uh didn't have miguel on hell ramirez from the start and had latanzio um in there from day one maybe things are different maybe they pick up more points maybe they're in the playoff picture and maybe uh leapfrogging an fc cincinnati or somebody like or columbus uh to get into the playoffs but um i do think that that's a solid team so props to them uh, I'll slightly dance on the grave of the Seattle Sounders. Um, I, there was a really fun Twitter exchange that I found between somebody. Um, they were talking about, well, you know, going back and forth. Well, at least we have our own training facility. And they're like, well, we're building ours. At least we have our own stadium. And they're like, yeah, we have our own stadium too, but it's not, it's not ours, but we play there. Um, and it's like, it's like, yeah, but like you host other teams. There's going back and forth. And someone was like, well, you're, well, he goes, well, this week it or is a multi-purpose. He goes, well, yours is multi-purpose. You guys are holding uh, the Bacon Fest uh, for Kansas City next week. And the response back was, yep. And this week, our purpose was the funeral home for the coffin uh, of the Seattle Sounders playoffs hopes. And I was like, that's freaking great. Like, wait, just wait, way to go back. Like, thank you for giving me that. Um, a lot of fun uh, with it. There were after the whole uh, The Rock debacle last year with Tim Melia suplexing uh, Christian Roldan, uh, there was a certain subset of Twitter famous Sounders fans um, that were tweeting out Sporting Kansas City's record uh, in all competitions since said suplex. Um, and so then, you know, a Sporting Kansas City supporter then quote tweeted uh, Seattle Sounders uh, record uh, since that last the last tweet when they decided to stop tweeting it because the Sounders were doing so bad. Um Look, at some point, you got to realize that if you're like for Seattle fans, you got to like just get the full MLS experience and welcome to the full MLS experience. Uh, so much has gone right for the Seattle Sounders um, in many ways that it shouldn't have over the last five, six years. Um, so to see them finally get like the big old spoonful of MLS medicine where they're like, well, we were without Rui Diaz and Joao Paulo for like the whole year. Yep. And so were a lot of teams that were missing, uh, their two DPs that didn't play an entire game of the year. Um, and are still have a shot at finishing above you in the table. Um, I think there's there's just not a lot of sympathy for it because it's like, welcome to freaking MLS, man. Uh, ask LAFC, uh, their first two years, amazing season, supporters shield. 
didn't make the playoffs the next the following two years, or they did and they lost in the first round at the Sounders in uh, in COVID year. Um, so I I uh, I'm in twenty twenty. Um, they lost at the Seattle Sounders in the first round of the playoffs, if I believe so. Um, and then they did not make the playoffs last season. Ninety percent sure. I, I can see Matt like working on it. Uh, you're, you're you'll be my. Uh, is it, do we have what, what's that show? Uh, you're right, Dan. Around right. the horn. You're right. Yeah. You're good. Cool. Thanks. Yes. Um. Yeah. So, uh, night like everybody gets got. Uh, ask the Seattle, ask Atlanta United too. Uh, at some point it comes around and you get got. That's what happens when you're a league of parody. Um, nobody can. You might have these great runs like Seattle, like the Sporting did, where it was like ten years in a row where they made the playoffs, and you know the Red Bulls are up there twelve, thirteen years in a row. Um. They were tied with the Sounders uh, up until the Sounders, you know, lost it out this year. It can happen. Um, there's what two trophies in that, two MLS Cups for the Seattle Sounders in that uh, to show for that. Uh, there's one MLS Cup for Sporting Kansas City to show for in that. MLS is a difficult league to truly top time and time again, and so it's nice to see Seattle Sounders get a true fans get a true taste of the true MLS medicine. Yeah, WrestleMania was back, Dan. Um, you know, but I no, I, I I agree with you. I I don't say this a lot out loud, Dan, but it's something that I think regularly, and something that, um, you know, like we're the Seattle Sounders for as much as we talk about them about them being the standard bears, they haven't won a supporters shield since 2014. I believe they've only won one Open Cup question mark in that time. And let's be real, we're one penalty in 2016 away from them being one in three in the four MLS Cups they've been to, and they've been woefully outplayed in all of them. And the only one in which they were the better team from a run-of-play standpoint was when they were at home against a disheveled and broken-down Toronto FC team and everything. And I think we would color—I would agree with you that a lot of luck has come that, and eventually that's going to— um, run out, but I, I still don't think Sounders fans should be disappointed on the seasons all uh, as much as, as well. Brian Smetzer kind of had his own, um, you know, crying Jordan moment post game as well. Him and him and Lodero. <laughs> you you won a major trophy. You won is you know first time that uh, an MLS team has won that trophy. You were absolutely spectacular in that final. Um, you know, Seattle has every right to look at the season being successful, and I think a lot of those players, you know, outside of the ones that are going to the World Cup, we'll see whether or not Christian Roldan's in the conversation for Qatar, um, you know, are going to get a long offseason, longer offseason than they've ever had to, you know, rest, recoup, and come back better for 2023. And, you know, this group has renewed sense of purpose and revenge energy for that. Um, I'm not looking forward to the Rapids playing Seattle Sounders in 2023. Let's move on to the actual decision day, Dan. Um, uh, Dan, I feel like this is the first time I'll say in the history of you and me on this podcast in which I think this is the most settled decision day that we've had going into it. Like we were talking about what chaos looks like and everything, you know, we already know who the supporter shield winner is. There's technically only what, um, four playoff spots that have not been claimed yet. There's two available in the East amongst there's three teams that can clinch that. So one out of three teams isn't going to make that. Um, and then there's four teams in the Western Conference that are also in that conversation. And fittingly, of those combined seven teams that are competing for four spots across that, we have a head-to-head matchup between those. So maybe the one element we have, Dan, 
of the MLS scriptwriters giving something to really care about is we basically have de facto play-in games for this. In the in the East, uh, we have Columbus versus Orlando. They're just separated by one point, and there is a scenario, folks, where Columbus and Orlando draw and then still both manage to get in and Cincinnati don't make it, and then also RSL hosting Portland Timbers in the West. But, Dan, let's start in the Eastern Conference. The top of it is mostly settled. Philadelphia all but guaranteed to be the top team in the Eastern Conference. Um, they would have to draw or lose their game and then Montreal would have to win. Montreal is playing Inter-Miami, and Miami is technically still fighting for seeding spots. There are outcomes in which Inter-Miami finishes seventh. Inter-Miami can finish as high as fourth. They're currently in fifth, so Miami potentially fighting for a they win and the Red Bulls don't take care of business on Sunday as well, and Miami's hosting a home playoff game, which would be massive for them given where expectations and their chaos was at the beginning of the season. Um, that being said, Dan, uh, Philadelphia Union are lucky enough to be playing Toronto FC, who have nothing left to play for. Um, you know, obviously, uh, we'll see whether or not the Italian group gets a run out just because they want one more game to play. And as I mentioned earlier, Montreal with the tougher game at Inter-Miami, who um, have been home this entire week. Big win over Orlando. I mean, D- Dan, Philly's going to be the top seed in the East. Yeah. No even like follow up or anything. You just think they beat Toronto and that's it? Yeah. They're at home, right? Yes. Yeah. Philly is at home and Montreal is away at Miami. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'll take that. If Philly wins, uh, they they're they're top. I I think that that home game for Miami looked really good. Honestly, uh, on Wednesday night, they've looked really good over the it's past. It's the best few I've weeks. ever seen them. Yeah, uh, they've looked really good over the past few weeks. Um, I have a hard time betting against Miami, uh, especially if they're at home against Montreal. Correct? You said yeah, yeah. I I I just. I, I don't see it shaping it. Too many things have to go right for Montreal um, to take that top spot. And if they do, it'll just be hashtag welcome to freaking MLS. But like, uh, I, I don't I, I would be shocked if the Philadelphia Union don't end up first. Yeah, and then third and fourth in the Eastern Conference, Dan, are NYCFC and New York Red Bulls. New York Red Bulls, excuse me, NYCFC already locked into having a home playoff game. Again, if Red Bulls lose and then Inter-Miami wins that game, then Red Bulls would fall to fourth. And then, Dan, there's maybe a little, there's some interesting Hudson River rival, Hudson River Derby Twitter banter to be had about the scene that's going on. I don't know that it's that interesting in terms of what the first round matchups are going, because if you look at the match days in which those games are going to be played, um, uh, with the Yankees being in the playoffs and the Mets being in the playoffs, there's no venue that's available for NYCFC. So NYCFC's first round playoff game will absolutely take place in Red Bull Arena unless they end up being the home team, a home team on paper against New York Red Bulls in which, uh, Dan, are, are, are we looking at, uh, are we looking at UConn? Are we looking at, uh, New York, Connecticut? FC potentially playing. I'm not sure where they would put that one. So there's some banter to go on with there and some logistical complexities. I don't know that it's that interesting from an X's and O's in the actual outcome of the games that we have going on. Dan, uh, NYCFC are at Atlanta, and then Red Bulls are hosting Charlotte. Charlotte are already out, so we'll see what happens there. But then the really interesting meat of the calendar here is between Cincinnati, Columbus, and Orlando. Orlando is playing Columbus, Orlando is at home in this one. And Dan, this is like the game of like this is the game of which team is going to suck the least. Because you look at Columbus, who have now dropped, I think it's eleven points from a winning position. Like we're talking like well, we're they talking, could be well, comfortably twenty one points dropped from a winning position. Eleven points that they've lost in the ninetieth minute or later. 
in in MLS play. I mean, that's that's epic, epic collapse of epic proportions. They're the third collapse. team in the Eastern Conference if they have those 11 points right now, Dan. They yeah. are comfortably – they have clinched a home playoff game – and if they then take care of the points drop, not just the points lost in the 90s, not just like yips during uh, squeaky bum time, but you're legitimately talking about a team that is second place in the Eastern Conference right now. And then on top of that, Dan, they had a 2-0 lead against Charlotte and then managed to get a 2-2 draw out of that one. And then you think, oh, like, you know, Columbus is in a bad situation. They're going to have the yips and everything. Orlando is the team that lost 4-1 midweek to enter Miami to then have Miami jump them in the standings and then clinch the playoffs. So I, I this is, I, I don't know what to make of this, Dan. Um, I obviously Orlando's won a trophy. There's a lot of really good stuff that Oscar Perez has done. I wonder what their ceiling is with where that ownership situation is. And if Oscar Perez maybe feels that he's in a similar situation to FC Dallas. And I think anything less than making the playoffs and not crapping the bed as like first round cannon fodder. If, if Columbus, Dan, if Columbus scores the first goal in this game, at Orlando and then manages to not make the playoffs, whether they draw, whether they lose. I don't think there's a scenario where they could win and then not make the playoffs. Like Caleb Porter needs to be fired and the press release needs to be out like Monday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern at the absolute latest. So that's, I think, the really interesting game. Um, It's basically winner gets in. And then if Columbus draws, then Columbus is in for sure. As I mentioned previously, there's another scenario where these teams draw and then Cincinnati loses and then with goal difference that uh, Cincinnati actually gets out. But Dan, FC Cincinnati is at DC United. DC United has already clinched the wooden spoon. Players playing for pride, maybe some squad rotation from Waza um, as the head coach to kind of give some players, you know, a, a look before the end of the season. I think Cincinnati takes care of business. I think Cincinnati gets a result to where they don't have to worry about missing the playoffs. But Dan, I legitimately, if you told me I had to bet 10 bucks on either Columbus or Orlando, I'm not sure because I think both teams are in a crisis of confidence. Like, I I, I don't know what to make of this game or who actually gets in it. You hedge it. Five on each run away. (laughs) Well, I'm saying like I I have to bet 10 on somebody to actually qualify. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I I don't either. And you know, Orlando has the wins tiebreaker, but I don't know that it's ever going to come into play here, um, which is kind of hilarious because now um, they really have they really do have to win or go home um, based on their results. I, um, I I'm really excited for the bottom of this uh, uh, of the Eastern Conference. It's just crazy. Um, my my cho- obviously FC Cincinnati makes sense to me, um, and then I'm going to take. <sighs> I'm going to take Orlando at home. I think they can get up for the big game at at home. And I think um, if you if you had Orlando just throwing numbers at uh, Columbus when Columbus is winning one nothing in the 89th minute, I can 100 percent see uh, Orlando scoring two goals uh, in like six minutes to to get themselves to the playoffs. It's going to be the best one matchup in uh, in the league uh, on Saturday or on Sunday. Um, and I'm, I'm glad they chose that one for, uh, that game because it is going to be like, it's going to be a painfully exciting watch. Like that's how that one feels. Yeah. And I also think Dan, there was enough, you know, Columbus played their first team, uh, midweek. They kind of had to, they, they had to Dan, cause wasn't that the game that was abandoned? So didn't you have to stick with the same Yeah. They, they were forced to play that lineup. They had to, uh, if the only way that they could swap out players if there was injuries 
um, or like an international duty that uh, did, that did not allow them to to play in that game. Uh, they weren't like physically in the vicinity or physically able to play. Um, then they had to do that. So, uh, yeah, weird situation about how that all started. I I wish there was probably a better situation where you just scrap whatever happened in the first sixteen minutes instead of delaying it. You just say we're going to replay, start the game in the first minute. You can change your lineups. It just makes more sense. However, FIFA rules never always make sense, and you just got to deal with it until a situation comes along where you're like. Oh, yeah, that would make sense if we did it this way. So, yeah, but then so what I was saying, Dan, is that there was more squad rotation from Orlando City, clearly by the lineup, at least when it was released, when I thought um, I think it was obvious that Orlando was prioritizing the game on Sunday over this game. Um, that was taking place. You had Tesha Wakandelli up top, Benji Michelle, you know, Kara came off the bench. He scored the goal in garbage time for them. Um, I think we'll see a squad, a little bit of rotation um, in the back four, maybe from uh oscar pareja and i think absolutely cara has to play up top and then i think they'll be fine otherwise um i thought fagunda torres was maybe the one bright spot in that game along with cara scoring the goal so i think you'll have a fresher orlando city side a closer to a first team lineup and everything and again i think all the pressures on columbus at this point you know similar to seattle orlando's already won a trophy i think there's obviously confidence in the team and um and the front office and the coaching staff and everything, you know, Caleb Porter is probably coaching for his for his job on the weekend and everything. And so you, you'd almost I wouldn't recommend this, Dan, if by chance that Oscar Brea or an Orlando City player is listening to this right now. But if you just give up a goal, like even just like kickoff, pass it in your own goal and then, you know, like full Leeds versus Aston Villa that one time and then then Columbus has to deal with the circumstances of playing with a lead. You might just see this team just completely fold with the yips they have. But I'll, I'll agree with you, Dan. I think Orlando, I think Orlando gets a result. I think Columbus is the team out. I think since he takes care of business against DC either way. So I think since he's in, and then I think Orlando wins the head to head, head to head against Columbus. And I don't know that Caleb Porter still has a job by 5 PM Monday, if that's the case. And then let's move on to the, Oh, I guess, uh, Dan, as we mentioned earlier, um, just give me your your top four, one to four, how you think the East will shake out. No explanation. Uh, Montreal, or sorry, Philly, Montreal, uh, New York City FC, because it can't go anywhere. Um, and uh, I'll take Inter Miami with the fourth in the home playoff game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I'll take so I'll take Philly, Montreal, and then I say they flip. I think Red Bulls jumps NYCFC. Um, uh, and then let's move on to the Western Conference, Dan. Uh, this is even maybe more boring than the than the East, folks. And uh, LAFC has already clinched the Porter Shield. Austin, no matter what, is already locked into the first seed. There's some weird circumstances in which Dallas could not finish third, but then you have um, LA Galaxy who are playing Houston, and pretty much they get a result in that one. Then they'll uh, so. LA and Nashville are both on 47 points and basically they're playing for which team is the home team in their first round playoff game that they'll face. Probably I think LA galaxy, um, LA galaxy are playing Houston and then Nashville are at LAFC, LAFC, obviously with nothing to play for. But then, as I mentioned earlier, Portland, Minnesota 
RSL and Vancouver in that order from six to nine competing for the last four spots. Uh, you have RSL hosting Portland in a de facto six pointer Minnesota and then also a six pointer Dan it's uh, Minnesota versus Vancouver I didn't realize that but I think that one's less relevant because Vancouver needs a lot of help because they're two points below the red line and Minnesota you know Minnesota plays for a draw on that one they're in no matter what else is happening so I didn't realize I may I misspoke earlier then Dan it's technically it's seven teams playing for four spots and it's three six pointers in that and then Cincinnati getting um, a cupcake matchup against uh, DC United. So, Dan, let us start with um, uh, with uh, picking your bottom two. Walk me through how you think what's going on in terms of Portland versus RSL head-to-head, and then Minnesota versus what's left of the Vancouver Whitecaps, and then give me which two teams you think qualify. All right. So, um, looking at this again, just to make sure I have matchups right. Okay. So I say, this is where I think it's going to be crazy. I'm going to get Vancouver at seven. Uh, if they beat Minnesota, they're in. Um, unless um, Real Salt Lake beats Portland, then that's going to complicate things. Um, but actually, Vancouver, Vancouver wins on the tiebreaker because MLS tiebreaker is uh, wins, not goal differential first outright. So... Uh, Vancouver actually would end up in the seventh spot. If they win, they should be in, um, regardless of what happens elsewhere, which is wild to think about. Um, now Real Salt Lake could get to 47 points if they beat Portland in that situation. I don't think that's going to happen. I really am hoping that, uh, Portland wins that one. Um, so I will say the bottom two will actually be, uh, I'll go with, I'm going to go with Vancouver and I'm going to take uh, Nashville SC uh, because there is a possibility that Nashville can drop down to six. And I will keep that because if they don't get the result, Portland wins. Portland leapfrogs Nashville um, into the fifth spot. And so that's what I'll do there. So I will go with a Vancouver and Nashville seven and six. Okay, so Vancouver and Nashville. So w- which one of the other three teams do you have? Did you have qualifying in there, Dan? Portland. Portland. Portland will yes. qualify because they win. Yes. Okay. So then Por- Portland, because Portland beats uh, RSL for that scenario to happen. Yes. Uh, Portland mm-hmm. then leaps frogs Nashville and is sitting at 49 points uh, in fifth place. Dan, crazy thing. I agree with you, to be honest. Cause there's I, so I, much There's so much crazy stuff to happen. And <clears throat> the way Minnesota's going right now, I – so this was fun. I watched DC United come into Kansas City, and that was the worst team that I've seen play. Uh, even Sporting KC at their worst did not look that freaking awful. Um, Minnesota United also looked like Sporting KC at their worst, um, and that's who they are right now. Like I've watched multiple games of theirs. If you watch their game against San Jose over the weekend, they are lethargic. They're out of it. I I don't I can't see them winning. I I really can't. Even at home, I I can't even see them getting a draw to stave off uh playoff elimination in that case. So I I am really down on them. They're they're very hampered by injuries. I think the master striker tinkerer has tinkered way too much at this point, um, and he doesn't have any really good answers. The back line is too fragile uh, with what's going on, and I think Vancouver. 
the way Vanny Sartini can motivate the team and the way that team can score goals at times and score goals in bunches, I think that's going to cause major problems for um, the Minnesota defense. And I think a striker like Cavallini causes a lot of problems for that defense too. Yeah, I think Vancouver totally Sartini energy poop houses Minnesota in this one, Dan. You know, Minnesota winless in their last six, and I believe they just have the one draw against LAFC in which they look fantastic. But then I also look at it, Dan, and I see – Reynoso, you know, he hasn't he hasn't been healthy. So I, I think this game, honestly, Dan, comes down to does Reynoso start and does he play 90 minutes? Because I think he single handedly could win this game for Minnesota. But you just you look at their form and you look at him with the injury, the injuries that he's had going back, I think, uh, you know, 10 games in MLS and they pretty much have gone how he's gone. So if I, you know, maybe I'm kind of hedging my bets because I'm relying on that lineup and everything. But if we see the lineups, you know, at you know, two o'clock on Sunday and Reynoso's not in the 18 or whatever, Minnesota's doomed for me. Like Minnesota's already out. So I agree with you. I think Vancouver gets the result against Minnesota. I think they're in. And this is what Portland does. You know, RSL, I thought was, you know, a really good feel good story early. I think they've really faded in the last two months. This is this is who Portland are. They find ways to sneak in, be an all road team in the playoffs and then just cause chaos and everything. I think they'll do this by winning a road game to get into the playoffs. So I think Vancouver, uh, excuse me, I think Portland beats RSL. Portland's in. I think Vancouver also wins on the road at Minnesota. They're in as well. Um, I'm not going to make a prediction on, I don't, I don't think Nashville, you and Nashville seventh, Dan, or sixth? I, I think Nashville stays, I think Nashville stays fifth. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then what was the other thing? And then, uh, Dan, give me your, uh, to the extent that it's a formality, give me your top four seeds in the West one to two. Well, I guess so. LAFC, Austin, and then Dan, I guess since you have Nashville in sixth, who are your three and four? Uh, my three and four in this order are going to be FC Dallas. I say they get a draw with Sporting. I think Sporting's still playing with a lot of pride in their minds um, at the moment. And so um, I, I would be really – Unless Sporting rolls out an all-academy lineup like they did a couple of years ago in Dallas on Decision Day when they had uh, the playoffs were done and Peter literally threw out every player who like hasn't played a minute, like went out and played basically, um, that could be very disastrous for Sporting. Uh, depending on how that game goes, I wouldn't be surprised if he, with the last game of the year, being on the road and everything, and it kind of being wrapped up, he just kind of tosses caution to the win. Um, so maybe uh, I'll take I'll take a Dallas gets a if Dallas gets one point they can't drop lower than third. So I'll take Dallas in third and the Galaxy in fourth. Same thing, Dan. I think Dallas gets a result against Sporting Kansas City, and I think LA Galaxy gets a result uh, at least betters. Uh, they <clears throat> well wait they they'd have the they have the wins tiebreaker, and then let me check their goal difference really quick. Um, Nashville is a better goal difference. I I think I think LA Galaxy beats Houston. Um, and then I think Dallas just at least gets their point as well. So I think one through four, I think goes chalk with where I have it, um, in terms of where it is right now. So we agree there. So Dan, let's go to it directly. We've kind of already said it, but let's put some score lines to it. Columbus crew at Orlando city on Sunday, October 9th decision day at Exploria stadium. This will be on FS one for most of the country. And then all of the Eastern conference time zone games, folks are at two 30 PM Eastern simultaneous kickoffs. Like it's supposed to be, uh, Dan, we both have Orlando getting in. What's your score line? I say Orlando two, one, win over Columbus. Um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go two one as well. I think Orlando, and I'll say, I'll even say that it's uh it's a Columbus crew nightmare. I think it will start. That will come from what was originally a Columbus one nil lead. 
as well. And then let's go. Um, we said it as well. So I guess, Dan, let's throw on uh, give me score predictions for both Portland RSL, Portland at RSL at the Rio T. And then Vancouver at Minnesota at the Allianz, uh, both of those games on ESPN Plus at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Let me make sure. Oh, excuse me. Um, RSL versus Portland is on ESPN2. Minnesota Vancouver will be on ESPN Plus for those of us in the United States. Dan, give me scorelines for those two games. All right. Uh, what? To Portland and RSL and what? What was the other one? Uh, Minnesota Vancouver. Minnesota Vancouver. Okay. Uh I'll, the Minnesota Vancouver is an easy one for me. I'll say 2 nothing, uh, Vancouver in that one. Uh, Cavallini gets a goal and Ryan Gold gets another. Um, here's, here's my fun one. As as we have been waiting for people in Kansas City have been kind of talking about uh, it being karmatic uh, towards the end of everything that happened towards the end of their season last year. Um, uh, it feels like karma is just doing right by everybody um, right now, right to them by everyone right now. Um, so uh, we'll go with Portland beating RSL thanks to a dubious handball call um, that was not overturned by VAR and not even recommended for review, despite it being absolutely 100% an obvious handball, um, just for kicks and giggles and for the universe to reset itself. So Portland wins one nothing against RSL, I say, um, on the road. And then uh, a, um, a good, solid... Uh, or even RSL gets denied a handball that's obvious that penalty VAR decides not to overturn because uh, he's from Colorado and one of the Rapids to win uh, Supporters Shield anyways, or uh, first place in the in the Western Conference anyways. But yeah, one nothing Portland, 2 nothing Vancouver is my prediction. Um, I'm gonna two. No, I'm gonna do two nil Vancouver as well against uh, against Minnesota. I think they score midway through the first half, and then I think the game gets stretched. It's chaos in the final twenty minutes, and I think Vancouver is the better team in transition there and i'm gonna say dan full on 4-4-2 poopowsery defensive ugly soccer just one nil portland scores i'm not sure entirely when but as soon as they do they just immediately park the bus and rsl can't break them down um and then it's just uh uh it's geo and pablo just yelling at each other in the technical area as well um so I'll say the one nil ugliest, most Portland road performance and game plan that you've ever seen. And I think that gets the job done. Uh, Dan, I think that is it for us. Uh, any last words from you and tell our good listeners about Icarus FC. Man, uh, I almost did the Icarus FC read the other week when I was with Rachel. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you're if you're if you're tired of the same old uniforms, the cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas, if you're looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday League squad, adult or even pro team, Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. With the motto "Any design you want, seriously," let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. I am going to pass on last words you can find me on on twitter at sperry daniel 94 um i've talked enough about all my opinions on this podcast today uh it's a long one thanks for sticking with us folks it's been a long season of coverage for all of us across the various things that we cover as well um and it's slowly winding down as i don't believe any of us have our teams in the postseason um except for maybe harvey uh who uh we we don't get the benefit of joining us tonight um but uh yeah we i i am as much as I am looking forward to the empty weekend calendar from October to like, or from after NWSL playoffs, so maybe starting November 1, uh, the empty weekend calendar until March, um, I will be missing it by January, but my God, am I happy to have a bit of a break. Um, so yeah, thanks for sticking with us through all the, all the coverage this season. 
as we all transition to off season mode as well. Um, you know, stay tuned on all the channels because the news never stops and news doesn't sleep on anybody. Yeah, but Dan, don't don't, don't forget you get to you get to watch the World Cup during work, Dan. Oh, I get to watch the World Cup during work. I'm so stoked about that. But I don't have to write anything about it. That's the good part. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. That's what I'm looking forward to right now. Yeah. Nice no, other, no other last words for me. Uh, actually, uh, I do want to say it, Dan. Um, it's going to be a really sad – it's a meaningless game on Sunday, but the Colorado Rapids community will be saying in some way goodbye to four very significant figures. Richard Fleming – um, obviously is the um, play-by-play voice. And then Marcelo Balboa, longtime club legend, USMNT legend, um, have been on the broadcast together for the better part of a decade. And will be their final broadcast on Altitude TV. Richard Fleming's future is obviously in doubt. Balboa is thoroughly entrenched in Spanish language coverage on the various channels um, in North America, international MLS as well. He's done them all. He said that he's going to continue to do that. And he still has a um, and he's still coaching the U14s and the U16s in the Rapids DA Academy. And he intends to do that. So he'll still be based out of Denver. He'll still be around. But I obviously won't be seeing him in the press box at DSG on match days as much. So in a way, we'll be saying good. We'll saying goodbye to one of those important people and then we'll be saying we'll see you less often potentially as Balboa might be you know his weekends Dan are freed up much more to do other games that are not taking place in Commerce City Colorado and that might be beneficial for him and then also another friend Brian Jennings who's written for the Burgundy Wave and then also the C38 media side as well who's been doing it for the better part of 20 years the longest standing member of the Rapids independent press corps as well will be bowing out of that at the end of the season so Sunday is his last away Zoom press conference call and Dan I am now the longest tenured credentialed member of the Rapids press corps which is kind of scary and then also Drew Moore club legend Dan, I'd argue easily top 10 center backs in MLS history. Um, I think there's a really interesting conversation in the Rapids community about whether or not it's him or Balboa as the best center back in Rapids history as well. Um, uh, he will be playing his final game as well. We'll see whether or not he's in the lineup with Gustavo Vallecilla suspended as well. And so we'll be saying goodbye to those four people. And I'm sad because I've enjoyed interacting with them in the case of Cello and in the case of Drew Moore. I've enjoyed watching them play i've enjoyed acting interacting with all four of them from a media standpoint um cello richard and brian jennings as uh as colleagues in the media space and then obviously drew is someone who i'm interacting with player to um person interviewing him and so i'll be sad to seeing them go and you know the greatest ride is the last ride and i've enjoyed my interactions with all four of them Listeners, I want to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, who are an official scarf supplier of US, U, of MLS, USL, and US soccer merchandise. Get your custom scarves, net gaiters, or masks for your group, team, or office at Roughneck Scarves. And especially if you don't like certain World Cup jerseys that have been released, at the very least, maybe the World Cup scarves that they have there for a certain national team that will be in a group with England and Wales will have some interesting merch on there. Follow us on all the social media platforms at LastWordSC last word on sports.com backslash soccer for all of our content all playoffs and all world cup long and find us wherever you get your podcast just search lws radio or last word on sports you'll find us and a bunch of other great content listeners we will see you next week to talk playoffs